A couple things before we begin. Uh, if you've never tried being in our choir, we encourage you after this service to go to my, the room on my right, your left, and uh, practice the choir for today. And then also, just a reminder, the Life Group leaders will have a short meeting afterwards in the office area for uh, some things I just want to talk to you about. Some of you might be wondering, why well, I'm not wearing a tie? Did, did anybody think about that? Um, you're wondering that. Well, all good intentions. Uh, I do have a tie here, but it's in my office. And somehow between the first service and the second service, I got distracted in some conversations and some meetings. And I was sitting there, and I think, there's no phone booth in this, in this uh, sanctuary for me to go in and come out, you know, as super pastor. But anyway, I was, uh, I was thinking about it. You know, it's interesting just for those who, who think about things like that. Most people don't care what I wear as long as I wear something that covers my body. But I have just as many people in the first service who don't like me wearing a tie as people in the second service who like me wearing a tie. So you can't please everybody all the time. So today was just simply, I forgot until halfway through the service and saying, I don't have a tie. But isn't it, isn't it good that in life that the most important person we need to please is God? And so that's, that's our hope today as we look in His Word, that we look for ways that we can please Him and make sure we're on His agenda, not our own. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for today, and we pray as we look in Your Word that You might really speak to us, and we pray all these things in Christ's name, amen. The title of this message, as we continue our series, The Best Sermon Ever, which does not refer to my preaching, but the preaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, is entitled, uh, this, is going, this Isn't Going to Be Easy. You ever had uh, someone say that to you? Maybe a project you're just about to start, and they say this isn't going to be easy. Uh, how many of you ever had something go wrong with your computer, and you decide you're going to go online to get some online help? And then, you, first of all, you have to go through all those uh, phone trees as far as which person you want to get to, and then you get to the first person you get, to, and then you finally get to the person you're supposed to get to, and then you ask them all the questions. Say, well, I'm not the person you're supposed to talk to. You got to talk to somebody else, and on and on and on and on and on and. And then finally, when you find somebody knows what they're doing, it was very, very simple, but it wasn't easy getting to the person who knew the solution to your problem. Well, well Jesus recognizes that, that the solutions to our problem is found in a person, which is himself. But as we think about that, that challenge of living a life that pleases God is not going to be easy. In fact, from a human perspective, it's impossible. It only happens when we walk closely with God. And this is probably no more evident than in the verses that we're going to look at this morning. But before we do that, look at Matthew chapter 5, and he gives some general statements related to that idea, and then he, then he kind of pounds us in specific areas of our life. For instance, kind of beginning right after the Beatitudes, the, the guts of the message, he says this, so, By the way, I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. If you like to write in your Bibles, or not in your Bible, that's a key verse in the Sermon on the Mount because it really speaks to uh, the main heart of the message. Because the scribes and Pharisees, and we have a tendency to look this way, uh, backwards in the New Testament, but during those days when he was saying those words, they were pretty impressed with the scribes and Pharisees. They were the religious folk, and they were doing it pretty well. And he says... Take the best people you can imagine and you've got to do better than them or you have no way to get to heaven. And this, just in case we didn't get it figured out that way, at the end of uh, chapter 5 he says this, Oh, by the way, therefore you shall be perfect. Well, how perfect do I need to be? Just as your Father in heaven is 
perfect. Seriously? Seriously, that's the Saturn? Well, what would that look like in specific areas of my life? Well, that's what we're going to see this morning. And we're going to be asking ourselves, what are we to do about, <coughs> excuse me, certain areas like um, the tendency that we have a desire to pay back. When someone does something to us, we want to give it back to them. Or how about the area of our love life? How, how are we supposed to love? Particularly loving people that we don't like and they don't like us. Or put it another way, how are we supposed to do about getting what we deserve when we feel somehow we're underappreciated? Anybody feel underappreciated here? Okay. Probably every mother or grandmother ought to raise their hand. Okay. Well, what do you, when you're underappreciated, what, what's, what's up with that? And what are we supposed to do about that? Well, that's really what Jesus speaks to. And, and do you ever get nervous when you look at my outlines? Saying, there's no way he's going to get through this unless he speaks faster than normal. You ever do that? Yes. All right. Well, I don't know how we'll do it, but we'll, uh, we'll try to uh, touch base on a few of these things this morning. What are we to do about payback or revenge or retaliation? Well, this is what Jesus speaks about in Matthew chapter 5. You have your Bibles, just turn there and kind of camp there, and we'll look at a couple of the passages, but you can just stay there. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath one of the chairs around you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. How many of you have ever heard that? I'm going to stop there for a moment. Is That was said in the Old Testament. It's actually said in the Old Testament three times. But what they understood about that was a little bit skewed. They didn't quite get it. And sometimes we don't get it today. And, and so we need to look at it from two perspectives. One, a civil intent. And the other, which Jesus really speaks to, is the personal intent. So I know this is a little bit of a backstory, but let me give you that. And then we're going to hit where Jesus really hits them and hits us. First of all, it was given three times the Old Testament primarily for those who were in positions of authority or responsibility, particularly governmental. Because you need to understand that the people of God, Israel, were not only people that worshipped God, but they were also a nation. And so they had laws and rules beyond the moral laws, but they had laws governing how they lived. And then they also had opportunities to deal with what happens when people don't obey the laws. So if you were to look in other passages, you'd find out, and I'll just refer to this, the one in Exodus chapter 21, which is one of the three that Jesus speaks to, it speaks very plainly, and here it gives the example of a man who, who somehow abuses a woman with child, and, and the husband comes along, and, and, and then the question of, well, what do we do to this person who did that? And they come up with a particular type of judgment, and then it says the judges will determine whether this is fair or or right. And then it goes on and says, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and on, on and on and on. And really the point here, when Jesus refers to this statement in the Old Testament, he was initially talking to them about what it was in a civil perspective. Or to put it this way, the role of those in authority are responsible to give out fair consequences. You know, if, if someone were to take out your tooth, you're not supposed to t- take off their head. You know, if someone were to uh, take off uh, an eye, you know, you don't, you know, put a knife in their gut. And he was basically saying that, that the punishment should, what, the crime, fit the crime. Anarchy has never been part of God's plan. And that's why God has ordained the institution of government, and that's why we have people in the judicial system, that's why we have lawyers who go before judges, that's why we have those in the police force, that's why we have a military, because there is a place for 
those who are given that responsibility to lay out uh, rules and regulations and consequences for those who don't follow after them. So primarily, an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth was to, to make it very clear that the punishment ought to fit the crime, that there ought to be fair consequences for actions. And, and you can broaden this, and a little bit in your, your study this week, that's true for any institution. I mean, if you're a sportsaholic, which, like I am, I mean, can you imagine anybody playing a game where there was a referee and an umpire in which there weren't rules by which the game was governed by? There has to be a consequence for a foul or a transgression on the ball field or the football field on the court. And there's always that type of thing where there ought to be a fair consequence for that. But what Jesus does, because he's really speaking to the heart of the, of the people, saying, you are taking this now from the institutional, civil application of it and thinking that you're doing okay on a relational level by handing out consequences to people where God does not want you to hand out consequences. And that's what we need to look at secondly. There is a, a personal intent. In Romans 13, we didn't read through in Romans 13.1 and Romans 13.4 talks about the government has the right of authority. What's that personal intent? Never pay back evil with evil. Romans 12.17 says this, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Do not become overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. God has never been a fan of, of, of those who take the law into their own hands. And he speaks that very powerfully. But what he wants to take now is his followers to another level in terms of the application of that. And so now he goes on and he says a few other things. Verse 39. But I tell you, you've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That was the civil intent. But now I say to you on a personal level, on a relational level, not to resist an evil person. For whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Now let me ask you, have any of you ever had a problem with this verse? What in the world? Are we just supposed to turn the other cheek? Well, again, the reason I gave you the backdrop of this, he's not talking about that in a military, from a military perspective or a governmental perspective, or you are a policeman. That's not your role, or even as a parent, okay? If your kid slaps you, you better give him some kind of consequence for that, okay? He's not talking about people who have roles of responsibility, but he is talking to people on a relational level, people who are your peers or people who you do life together with when you're not in a positional responsibility over them. Now, the tough thing is, well, what does that mean if someone slaps your, your cheek, you're supposed to turn the other cheek? Is he saying, I'm, I'm supposed to be willing to be beat up by anybody who comes my way? No, he's not talking about criminal behavior. What he's talking about is, is people who, who offend you and then you respond in kind. Remember those days when people used to have duels, you know, where they would take off the glove and slap the person with a glove and then all of a sudden that person was shamed to the point where now they slapped them back and then they, had, uh, they would set up a time where they'd go out on the lawn and each one would have a gun and they'd turn around and take one shot and... One of them wanted to be a good shot, and one of them was hoping the other person was a bad shot. They would risk their lives because someone offended them by the slapping them on the cheek. 
Well, that really has always been somewhat the, the connotation of that phrase. When you slap someone, you're not really hurting them. You're just, you know, you're offending them. You're, put, you're shaming them. And if you're bigger than them, hey, you're just kind of slapping them around. He's not talking about having personal defense here. So, so what's the application for us? Because most people don't get slapped around in terms of just being defended. I mean, sometimes people get abused, and that's a different issue. There's a place for calling out the police. There's a, pay, there's a place for bringing authorities. But we're talking about just being personally offended. And, and I guess you could put it this way. That's how I put it in your outline. You must not easily be provoked. Don't trade insults. How easy is it for someone to push your button where you respond in kind? And Jesus is saying, if you really understand what I'm telling you here, is is we allow revenge to be under the hands of God and His authorities and not our own. Now, we've all been insulted, and when we are insulted, our natural reaction is to what? Respond and insult them. That's just the natural response. And Jesus said, don't have a natural response, have a supernatural response. Uh, I'm reminded of a story Alice will tell some of our friends, and it kind of goes back into our ancient history. When we, when we were uh, starting the ministry, I was a youth pastor in, at Torrance First Baptist Church, and we lived off of Torrance Boulevard on a street called Cranbrook. And, and there was a grocery store right on the corner where we lived. You could walk to it from our house, and it was called Lucky's. Anybody remember Lucky's, Jane? We had more hands in this service than the other service. All right, so, so that was our, that was our uh, home grocery store. Well, we had two kids at the time when we were in Torrance, and, and Tim was about four, and Cindy was about two, and, and they were at the grocery store with Alice, and they were going down the aisles, and, and Cindy sneezed. There was a nice lady another, pushing another grocery cart uh, next or near Alice, and, and she, so she turned to Cindy and said, oh, are you sick? Well, Cindy shook her head, and, and then... Tim piped up and said, well, I'm not sick. And she, in a very sweet voice, knelt down and, and, and said to Tim, well, you must be really tough. And Tim responded back and said, well, you're really fat, you know. <laughs> you know. What happened there? He, he must have taken after his mom, not, her, not his dad. Okay, but... You know, what happened there is that Tim didn't understand what she meant when he said, you're really tough. She was giving him a compliment. You know, that means you're really strong, and so you're too strong to get sick. But for some reason, he thought she was insulting him, so he returned in kind. Now, whether you doubt our parenting skills or not, but we did not teach Tim to say things like that, right? But it came what? Natural. That when... His button got pushed, he responded. Now, what Jesus was saying to those religious people, don't be like that. When people insult you, when people embarrass you, when people put you down, don't return in kind. Don't trade insult for insult. Now, we just remember the Lord at the Lord's table. When Jesus was taken before the magistrates and the Roman soldiers were there. They, they began to, to beat him and scourge him, but they also began to insult him and revile against him. And it, it said of Jesus that he did not even say a word in defense of himself. 
Here was a man of power who could have brought 10,000 angels down and wiped them all out. And here they were insulting the King of kings and Lord of lords, but he did not trade insults with them. Now, now we're not talking about when we have fun with people or bantering back and forth. That's just having fun with people. But, but when we say things we know are going to hurt them, that's taking a slap in our face and taking vengeance in my own hands and returning back in kind. And, and we've all heard that little phrase, which I can't even memorize right at the moment, but, you know, sticks and stones will break my bones, but what? Words will never hurt me. How many believe that? We can probably remember every word that really hurt us. But there's been a lot of times I've been in physical conflict. I can't even remember, but, but it's hard to, hard to forget words. And Jesus said, don't, don't be like that. If someone slaps you on the face, just turn the other cheek and let them insult you again and just move on. Then he goes on and, and, and challenges them again by the next statement. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Now, it's interesting. The tunic was kind of the, the regular shirt, and the coat was, was the outer garment. And the outer garment was, was very important because they didn't have a whole lot of change of clothes, and that, that outer garment was their blanket. And when things were cold, that's how they slept at night, and that's how they kept warm in the evening. And if, if somehow you made a promise, you had to, had to have to make a pledge, you'd give your cloak, but by law, they could only keep that pledge for one day. They had to have it back by sunset because they knew that person needed it. And now Jesus said, you, you really need to be a person who uh, understands what it means to, to live out relationally more than just an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. Now, I guess you could put it this way. You must not make it all about the money. We need to, you could put it on, we need to settle out of court. We need to do whatever we can to make peace with people who, who are trying to sue us or take things from us. Now, it doesn't mean we never go to court, but, but even in 1 Corinthians 6, it talks about as believers, we don't go to court with each other. Even if we're in the right, we do whatever we can, not, not to make life all about the money. It's interesting, I was reading some articles about people being litigious in our, in our nation. And let me just tell you a story against someone in my vocation. A minister and his wife sued a guide dog school for $160,000 after a blind man learning to use a seeing eye dog trod on the woman's shoes in a shopping mall. Southeastern Guide Dogs Incorporated, a 13-year-old guide dog school and the only one of its kind in the southeast raises and trains seeing eye dogs at no cost to the visually impaired. The school is located about 35 miles south of Tampa, and the lawsuit was brought by Carolyn Christian and her husband, the Reverend William Christian. Each sought $80,000. The couple filed suit 13 months after Mrs. Christian's toe was stepped on and reportedly broken by a blind, blind man who was learning to use his new guide dog, Freddie, under the supervision of an instructor. They were practicing at a shopping mall, and according to witnesses, Mrs. Christian made no effort to get out of the blind man's way because she wanted to see if the dog would walk around me. $160,000 against a blind man because the dog stepped on her foot. Now that's all about the money, isn't it? Yet we can't be that way. I mean, I was, I was thinking, the other day, I, 
I had my foot broken when I was playing basketball. A guy stepped on my, my foot when I was making a, a move, and he just cracked it. I mean, I didn't even think about suing him. I mean, what, it's, it can't always be about the money. And that's what he was saying to them. <laughs> Funny, I, I read another thing about here, that there was a surfer. He was out there surfing waves, and, he, and one of the surfers that he was surfing with took his waves, and he took him to court for taking his wave. <laughs> I mean, what kind of world do we live in? And, but the, that's the world we live in. And Jesus said, it should not be that way. At times, just be wrong. How about the next one? And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. What's the point there? Well, historically what happened is that a Roman soldier would have all kinds of military things that he had to carry to go from one point to the other. And, and so it was, I guess, by law during that time that he could... Uh, have a civilian uh, be given his armor and take it a mile uh, just to assist the one who was involved in soldiering in that particular land. And to go two miles was against the law. But obviously, you know, unless there was someone right there, that, that, that would not be known. And what Jesus said, look, if someone asks you to do something, just, just go the extra mile. Or, or you could put it this way, this way I put it in the outline. You must not limit, limit what you can do. Be a can and will do person. You see, God's people ought to be known for what we are willing to do if we're able to do it. You know, what, what are on our, I don't do this kind of list? I'm not talking about the things you can't do. You know, I don't remember that. I don't do windows. You know, <laughs> I don't clean toilets. I don't pick up trash. What, you know, what don't you do that you can do? And, of course, that is not only in the home, but it's within the, the Lord's work. Do the things you can do. And it doesn't matter whether you think it's fair. Well, I'm doing my part. What about the rest of the people? Where is that in the equation, is Jesus saying? Okay, we all, should, we all should be willing to do a mile. And what he's saying, well, we should all be willing to do two miles, which is more, that's twice as much as we should be able to, willing to do. He said, that's the kind of people that are my followers. The last verse, give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. And that's simply, don't be selfish. Be a generous person. Brian Burns was in the first service, and I was just kidding him. You know, he lives right across the street. And what, what happens now with us is that his tools are my tools, and my tools are his tools. Good thing about it is he's got more tools than I got, you know, all kinds of things. You know, it just ought to, we ought to just be generous with the things that we have. So what's the point? Don't be concerned about payback. Look at the ways that you can support people, not, not tear them down. Kind of related to this, and we're running out of time already. It's related to this. Is how about loving people you don't like? Boy, Jesus hits this hard here. Look what he says. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And now, of course, what he's doing there, he's playing on the conversations that are going around in Palestine because that was not written in the Old Testament, at least the latter part of it. It was said you, love, you ought to love your neighbor, but there was no record of hating your enemy. And he goes on, and he really is speaking about you ought to love those that are your neighbors. And we know he expands that in other teachings. But I want to look at real quickly, what was the Old Testament intent and what was the New Testament intent? And what we find here, it was the same. The Old Testament intent. On a personal level, we should do good to those who don't like us, even our enemies. Look at uh, Proverbs 24 and 29. 
24 or 29. Do not say, I will do to him just as he has done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. Or how about Proverbs 25, 21 and 2. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head, and the Lord will reward you. That was the Old Testament. How about the New Testament? The New Testament intent, same thing. On a personal level, we should do good to those who, who don't like us, our enemies. And this is how Jesus said, look at verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Let me just ask you a very plain question. Are there any people in your relational world that you wish weren't there? Are there any people in your life that just, man, they're always pushing your buttons? Are there people in your life that, that you just don't like and you know you don't like them and they don't like you and you just wish that they were gone? But what does Jesus say? If you can't love them as a friend, love them as an enemy. And if they're an enemy, what should you do to your enemy? Bless them. Don't curse them. And pray for them. Warren Wiersbe says this about blessing those and who... who the natural reaction is not to bless them. He said, prayer takes the poison out of relationships. You cannot faithfully and fervently and consistently and honestly pray for someone and harbor hate toward them. Because you're, you're praying for the, the God of this universe to somehow impact their life in a positive way. And you're asking God, if there's any way I can be part of that solution, make me part of that solution. And so we're to bless them, which means we, are not, should be, we should not be the people who are responding with negative reports about them. We, we ought to be looking, catching them doing something right rather than always catching them doing something wrong. Isn't that hard to do? And the people that, that just drive you crazy, find something they're doing well and, and bless them for that and pray for them consistently. Verse 45, that, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. He talks about... God sends rain on those who are righteous and unrighteous and, and supports their needs. But he says that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. See, when we act this way, loving those who are our enemies or those who don't like us and we don't like them, then we are acting like Jesus. Again, we just, we just participate in communion, remembering the cross. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards and why we were his best friends. Is that what it says? It says, God demonstrates his own love towards him that while we were sinners. In Romans 5.10, it says, and describes us as his enemies. If God, through his son Jesus, did not love his enemies, none of us would be in his eternal family. Because we were rebelling toward him. So we act like Jesus when we love our enemies. And then I like this about verse 47 and 48. So, so simple. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. What's the simplest way to, to show love to those who don't love you or don't like you? Talk with them. Go across the room and say something to them. I'm not saying that they, they need to be the people you trust the most in this world, but show them love by simply talking with them. He said, even the tax collector, they don't like anybody, and they'll talk, talk to people that are friends. And we should be more talking to people 
who are our enemy so that they become friends. That was Warren Wiersbe's comment. He says, we ought to create the climate of blessing that that our enemies become our friends. This isn't going to be easy, is it? It isn't going to be easy not to trade insults with people who insult us. It's not going to be easy to go the extra mile. It isn't going to be easy to be generous rather than holding on to what we have. It's not going to be easy to love people who don't love us, who don't like us, who we could honestly describe maybe even as our enemies because of all the things they've done to us. doesn't mean we necessarily trust them but we show love to them in tangible ways by, by catching them doing that which is right, blessing them, not cursing them, praying for them, being willing to speak to them, and showing them the love of Christ. The section we're not going to look at is that next section, which, well, what if we're not getting what we deserve? And I'm putting a spin on this because this is the section where Jesus speaks about those who, who, when they gave their charitable offerings, when they did their good deeds, they wanted to make sure everybody saw it and heard it. They wanted to blow their own horn. But the reason I'm sure they wanted to blow their horn is because they were doing something, and, and they wanted to make sure people recognized it. They wanted to be appreciated. We often live in a, a condition where we're doing a lot of things that we feel no one's noticing or appreciating. But you're out, in your outline, I put this way. Ask yourself the question, are you more concerned about getting your reward from God or from people? Whose applause matters most to you? Sometimes we think of God being up there. He's always catching us doing that which is wrong. In, in some ways, Alice is always the one in our family that caught our kids doing right, and I was always the one catching our kids doing wrong. I was the bad cop, she was the good cop. Right? Sometimes, some of us think about God being the bad cop up there, always catching us doing what is wrong. He's the one that's catching us doing that which is right. When, when we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised about the rewards of some because some of us have gotten rewards here, but when we get up there, we're going to see the rewards of those who've done things unnoticed by people, but noticed by God. So if, you're, if you don't feel like you're appreciated here, guess, guess what? There's going to come a time where you will get your applause, and it'll be from the one who I'd rather get applause from than anyone else in this universe. So what's the point this morning? Who can you show love to this week and and how will you do it? Who's someone in in your life that you can pray for that you haven't been praying for recently, or at least in a way that's positive? Who who can you maybe call on the phone or write a letter or or maybe bring over some food or or talk to, express love in some tangible way, do something kind rather than unkind? Or maybe work on not throwing insult after insult to someone who insults you. This is how we are the light of the world when we live out what Jesus said. Let's pray together. Father, all of us need to recognize that we can't do this on our own. It only comes through the, the hand of the Lord in our life. Father, I pray that we might be people that, first of all, recognize that we need to have Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. And then from there, that we need to have your Spirit live and empower our lives through His strength. Help us this week to be people who show love to others. And we ask this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen. As we stand this morning, let's stand.